As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. For today's show, Innovation 360 Group and Invest Northern Ireland are delighted to bring the best of Northern Ireland's fintech sector to our North American audience. Invest Northern Ireland is the economic development agency for the Northern Ireland region and is responsible for promoting trade and investment opportunities. Its services help potential and existing investors to flourish and to connect with trading partners across many sectors. The fintech sector is exploding and it is one of the fastest growing industries in Northern Ireland. In fact, Belfast is the world's number one location for fintech investment with almost 40,000 employees in financial and professional services, leveraging an unrivaled talent pool and cost of operations. Fully one in five people who are working in financial services and tech in Northern Ireland are working in fintech, the highest rate in the UK. Specifically, the Northern Ireland sector focuses on compliance, regulation, and artificial intelligence. Our guest today is Matt Flenley, Marketing and Partnerships Manager at Detactics, one of Northern Ireland's finest fintechs, actually a reg tech to be precise. Detactics is now active in North America and offers clients sophisticated data tools to quickly respond to new and emerging regulatory actions. Matt's own experience includes over 10 years of operations, customer experience, and marketing, and two of the largest banks in Northern Ireland. He's a creative problem solver and writer of reasonable repute. We'll have to check in on that. Uh, He's a data fan, conversationalist, optimistic, and a serial encourager. And one last thing is I want to thank Michael Barton, Canadian Regional Director of Invest Northern Ireland, for his support. I know that Michael would be delighted to provide more information on Detactics, and we look forward to introducing more of uh, the fintech players from the Northern Ireland environment. But first... Let me welcome Matt Flenley, Marketing and Partnerships Manager at Detactics, to the show. Welcome, Matt. Thanks very much, Jerry. So tell me a little bit about Detactics. Well, um, firstly, obviously, you've done such a fantastic job about talking about Northern Ireland, and then I'm going to turn up with completely the wrong accent. Um, I've, I've lived in, in NI since, um, since around 2004 when I moved here for love um, of a person, but obviously then also uh, fell in love with the countryside as well. We're a, a, a nearly 60 now strong firm, passionate about helping our clients to get their data right. We have over the years developed a, a very robust platform that is designed to help business users get the most from their data assets for a wide range of practical, as I would call it in my bank days, run the business problems like regulatory compliance and reporting, like business intelligence and, uh, and things like know your customer and, and AML. 
Uh, we have clients, um, including several tier one investment banks and major financial services firms in insurance and, and wealth or asset management. We've one Times Square client, as you were saying, active in North America, um, and now have an increasing focus on the North American marketplace. And where I am right now, it's a bizarrely sunny March day um, in, in the heart of Belfast. And I'm looking forward to St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, where we'll get a bit of time off and maybe a, a drink of the black stuff or two at home, not out, of course. I can't imagine that. Uh, so, uh, so how is the uh, the business environment evolving, and how is that impacting uh, the tactics? So, even even before COVID, obviously, there's going to be multiple COVID COVID claxons as we go. Uh, but we've been seeing a rapid growth in demand for use of data in the day to day running of business, rather than just something to be stored away in in a vault somewhere. Um, we we've noticed that there has been a real upsurge, as you have already highlighted, in the compliance sector in technology in Northern Ireland, alongside the, the traditional big four having their own tech operations, the likes of PwC and Deloitte, um, KPMG, who are based here in, in Belfast. A lot of homegrown tech firms who have found opportunities to, to support local banks and international banks through a whole range of, uh, of customer problems and data problems, um, particularly in the space of things like fraud detection and compliance and regulatory, uh, regulatory management. Stuart, who's uh, CEO of the Tactics, it's funny, his, his, his father used to run a, a coal yard just over the river from where I'm based here, back when, um, Stuart won't thank me for saying back when, but uh, back when Belfast was obviously a, a big industrial hub and it, it's, it's had that legacy, that history of being a, a, uh, a big centre of industry and shipbuilding and we can see the cranes from the office. And now we see this opportunity and this the way that Northern Ireland has taken up that baton from a technological um, industrial revolution, I suppose, and, uh, and lots of extremely bright people throwing themselves into opportunities and perfectly positioned to be able to uh, provide services to the rest of the UK and internationally. So it's actually been, it's been a bizarre year. It's been bad in terms of um, the wider impacts on society, but I think nearly all of the, the firms of our size and smaller um, have found opportunities to to deliver to customers internationally, probably more than ever before. Hopefully, that 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 goes into a bit of a bit of way of explaining it. Good. Well, thank you. So, at the same time as as the data being omnipresent or whatever, the regulatory environments are changing, and and it must impact uh, the need for data, uh, you know, or precision in data or whatever. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think people are waking up to the fact that while Data quality as an initiative is quite a late 90s, early 2000s idea when people started coining this term of data as the new oil. Now they're actually starting to see that it's central to absolutely everything. If you want to be able to decide grades for exams in a COVID environment, you're going to rely on data. If you want to be able to predict what's going to happen in the next uh, next outbreak of, a, of, 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 a, of an illness, you're going to need to rely on data. If you're going to want to be able to overtake your your uh, your competitors in a marketplace where margins are extremely tight and regulations tighter, you're going to need to rely on data. So locally, some of the common challenges have included things like Brexit, obviously, um, and I guess over the Atlantic, you know, the recent change in the White House is probably more like most likely pointed towards a stricter scrutiny of financial services markets. Expectations of regulators are, are extremely high. I was at an, an event last year before all events got cancelled like this um, in The Hague. And one of um, 
the European Central Bank's regulators were saying the ideal they're striving towards is they have full scrutiny of data as it resides in a bank's systems, not just what the bank is prepared to submit. That's the regulatory ideal. That's the demand. That's what they're going to be working to. Um, there's been much quicker change as well. And at the same time, incredible availability of new data sets for things like ESG, for example, and alternative data. There's loads of stories about the availability of data like that without necessarily the stories around how people have really used it. So you can see people are still struggling to figure out how to, how to get a handle on it. I suppose sort of tying all that together, really, you've got, you've got an IT team that's conscious of this and a business that's trying to use the data. And, and there's a bit of a conflict kind of arising in, in that space between the people who kind of know and protect and secure the data and then the people who are desperate to use the data to discover an advantage. Um, I will also say you can't sort of do a show like this without mentioning crypto. Um, so, you know, forever, how much longer is stores of value are not perceived to be securities? Um, we, we can't really say, but but definitely certain high net worth individuals tweeting about stocks being too high and that causing a causing a price crash definitely feels like a security type thing to me. So again, at the bottom of it all, it, it's all data. So uh, for our listeners, if we were on uh, on video, you'd see that I have much grayer hair than Matt does, <laughs> so I can <laughs> so I can remember when uh, some of these new uh, technologies were introduced into the financial services world, you know, like uh, uh, PCs, and that's uh, you know that's a long time ago. That's even older than me. Um, but one of the things that happened at that point was that uh, people started to use them naturally. Um, and uh, one of the big things on PCs at the time were spreadsheets. And so you would get all these reporting things and spreadsheets and data and this and that. And so as a consultant, we would call it the, um, you know, basically the uh, you know, the different centers of truth inside an organization mm-hmm. because it would be these little pockets of data that would all necessarily be different and whatever. Is, is there, like, how do you deal with that in this uh, sort of omnipresent world with all these cool tools and you could produce this report and that and analyze and use AI and all this kind of stuff. How do you sort of address the, um, you know, the, the well, certainly the having one center of truth, I suppose, uh, but also just controlling what is going to be an urge to use data to do everything? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good question. We, we've seen two approaches, really. Some people kind of go, well, I've got all these repositories of data. I'm going to pump them into one data lake and then I'll start to make sense of it once it's all in one place. And there is some logic to that. Uh, but at the same time, probably the biggest biggest problem that arises from that is it's still full of all of its discrepancies and inaccuracies. It's just all in one place now. Um, you know, you don't have necessarily all the context that you used to have when it was in its original sort of structured and siloed state. So this isn't obviously me just saying why our software is a complete panacea to this. But at the same time, you need a way of being able to string all those elements of data together and implement some kind of centralized control to say, this is what the data should be, this is what it's used for, and then be able to then federate out to all the various different departments who are desperate to use the data for for different purposes. Um, That ability to actually use it, report it, it, put it it into business intelligence models, AI models, et cetera. We we, we see this with with clients of ours who, who are currently engaged in one London client of ours currently engaged in this uh, this this process, this exact process of saying how are we how are we going to make sense of all of this? How are we going to secure it? How are we gonna, not going to make it a total data wild west? They they have business analytics driven staff who are in there trying to figure out what what margin that they can extract from the data that they have available 
that's going to make their client's wealth portfolio perform better. And it's a really good business case of being able to say, I need better data for this. But at the same time, all that data is held centrally and it's across multiple different systems and subject to loads of duplication. So if you implement centralized controls on that, being able to say what good looks like with your business input into saying it should be these things. And at the same time, somebody who is self-serving for analytics can detect the differences or be shown the differences and the problems that exist. And as I say, because they know what good looks like for that purpose, recommend, propose a change. That, that allows you that opportunity to, to connect the dots between a business application of the data and its own integrity and security in its, in its repository. It means that if you're trying to do some kind of data transformation program, you don't have to sit there and say, crap, I better do governance first, and then I'll go off and do some data quality metrics. It means you can do both at the same time. You can start from a standing start. You know, you, you, you can start small, as we like to say, and think big. So that just tells me that I should be able to go into a bank and say, tell me the, the, the truth, or not the truth so much, but the number on X, Y, and Z, and they should have the same the same that, number everywhere. That, that's, ex- that's, exactly, that's exactly the case. And I think we've, and it was an irony, you know, one of my former employers was that if you search for my name on one of the systems, you couldn't find my mortgage, which would have been really good if that had been, that they'd just totally forgotten about my mortgage. But regrettably, I still had to keep paying them. <laughs> So, so I, you know, there's certainly some obvious benefits to banks and others, um, you know, of the data. So, tell me a little bit about why all this stuff is good for banks. Well, one of the things I was at a recent uh, RegTech mission that was uh, supported by the Department for International Trade, uh, based out of New York. The team they have there are trying to kind of again do what a lot of people are doing: connect the dots between banking technology and phones like ours, who are technology for banking, you know. And um, we, uh, you know, I, I sat there on a number of different pitches for firms that did things like better KYC data or firms that did horizon scanning for regulatory requirements that you could then, uh, you, you could understand how that maps to your data so that if anything changes in the reg, you can see what you need to update in your data stores. And the thing is that each one of those, each one of those is doing something absolutely fabulous, at that particular point in time. But at the same time, you're going to have to find a way of being able to kind of orchestrate those together and sort of shift your culture to being able to say, as I say, start small and think big, get that bit of the journey right and push push the, the bubble to the next bit, get that bit right, push the bubble to the next bit, keep iterating and working towards being able to actually tie these together. The, why it's good, which is your question, is... It's all there. Like, it is all there now. You can engage with these firms. A lot of them have really good backers. They're either bootstrapped or they've been backed by uh, VCs up to sort of Series A, Series B maybe. They're not not going bust in the morning, you know. Loads of them are API-driven. So... As, as SaaS, you know, you don't, you don't even have to necessarily onboard a whole software platform to be able to utilize them. Why well, I should say that's, we're still very much, because of what we're doing, very, very often banks kind of go, no, 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 we absolutely want to implement you in our private cloud. And we say, that's absolutely fine. But, but why it's good is the sheer availability of technology for each of those different sort of parts along the reg tech value chains, I like to call it. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. 
Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts, improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Jerry Purcell. G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L or email Jerry at jerry.persil at innovation360group.com. So you talk about it being all there. And so what that must do is open up the, the floodgates a little bit around new needs and, and innovation capability and development of new yeah. services and stuff. So, so tell me what you see uh, sort of both today and in the future in terms of the kinds of things that customers uh, will be looking for. So I think, I mean, our particular customers within banks, okay, um, so that, that's the first kind of customer effectively of ours, is they they need to be able to visualize things. They need it speedy and they need it not in Excel. Typically, Excel is everywhere. I used Excel all the time when I was in a bank. But the problem is the availability of data, consistency, there's no audit controls, all the rest of it. That's That's one of the problems. And I need to be able to get into, I need to see what I'm doing. And I need to be able to report that so I'm not sitting and typing that into something in PowerPoint and then presenting it in a throwaway deck that no one's ever going to read again. The needs from a customer point of view about being able to say, what is wrong and what can I do to fix it? So as I say, data visualization built on really solid data is, I would say, number one thing. Um, Systemic risk, things like supply chains, which have been under massive strain during COVID in particular and Brexit locally, so you've got a big thing around data availability. So, so it's not just a case of saying, you know, is now, now I can visualize it. It's actually, can, can I use it? There's a really, really good story I heard today, which was two, two things that have come out of the UK's response to, to, to COVID. One of them is a phenomenally successful vaccination campaign. And a big, big part of that is because patient data on uh, for, for vaccination is available, can be shared between the parties and it doesn't, you know, th- th- there's no data sharing issues there and they can very rapidly push out a vaccine rollout, being able to go, right, off you go. It's this group, this group is vulnerable. We already have the vulnerable the vulnerable persons register, away it goes. But when it comes to the test and trace thing, one piece of data that's missing is who does Jerry know? Who does Jerry normally spend his time with? You know, what, who does Mac normally spend his time with? That's just, that's not a data set that's available. So, this is where society succeeds or falls right now. That's that's not even the future. It's it's based on saying what data is available. So anything that's going to make that sort of catch that sort of data and make it available is big. If if I could say two other things on on this, I think one thing we've seen is there is a big culture change necessary um, when it comes to to understanding and using data. I know that DBS Bank in Singapore have taken this whole idea of being digital and not just digitalized. So I know it sounds like a bit of a semantic thing, but if if you think about the end customer and what they are trying to do, you know, whether it's come into a bank and talk to you about something, exactly your example, and just have one iteration of you rather than try and sift out which one you are based on your addresses and your systems and stuff. There's a massive tendency in banks, and I know because I was there, that rather than 
thinking about a digital process, you think about digitalizing my manual process. So now instead of a manual form that I fill out and scan and send off, and I have an electronic form that I fill out and send off, I must have nothing for the process. And I do the interacting by Zoom, and now, now, now it's uh, you know digitized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think it is, there's, there's so much. I'm trying to think about this. One really, really good example is how people have managed the international events since COVID has occurred. Because some people have attempted to replicate an in-person event on a digital platform, and it always, always fails, in my experience. You cannot go around a showroom of booths and really get to know the vendors in a digital, pla- digital platform that just says, let's try and have a, like a, an auditorium where people can go and do it. It just doesn't work. So actually, as it's funny, the, the, the DIT guys and Hayden and the team down, down there in New York, they, they did these speed dating sessions and then they did Teams meetings between banks and the reg techs on the show. And they just hosted so many more things. They thought about a digital process that connected end user and buyer and just found the best way of doing that. Hands down, one of the best things I've done. Very cool. So you mentioned international and you actually mentioned New York. So so, uh, this must be a bit of a culture shift uh, coming into North America. And so what what kind of challenges and learnings uh, have you had from entering in, in this new market? So I think we're, we're uh, yeah, I've just bigged up digital processes, but at the same time, we're, we're very much into boots on the ground type of activity. I want to get to know people. We all want to get to know people. We're very personable. We know that we do very well with, you know, sort of, we call them data visionaries, people who get the idea of what a, a sort of a democratized data culture looks like. Um, and then they go, yep, you're my par- partner for that. But the reality is that's come on the back of us meeting them multiple times, grabbing a coffee and saying, wouldn't it be great if, you know, coming up with these ideas for the future? The, the biggest thing we've probably learned about exporting and really make, taking North America seriously in that sense is having somebody available in the market to talk is, is a, is a guarantee. We absolutely have to have that. Um, and at the same time, we have to be able to engage in ways that are meaningful for them, for them. So it sort of comes back to why you would have someone on the ground, just being available, available to listen and to sort of soak up some of those on the ground data challenges. Because you, you know as well as I do, the, the meeting about whether or not you're going to buy a piece of software doesn't happen when you're actually being pitched to it, it happens after. So having a person in the room, data tactics in the room is, is, is the big thing for us. Um, we, we've probably got a whole lot of learning to do on, on whatever is going to happen with visas now. Um, it's been tough over the last four years to increasingly tough to get, uh, visas for, for North America or for, for the US anyway. Um, so we're going to, we're just going to do a bit more exploration there. We've been supported actually by Invest Northern Ireland, um, in putting somebody into market from September. Hopefully all the travel will, will be up and running by then. On their graduate to export scheme, uh, a fellow called Brendan, who's you know currently being indoctrinated in the day tactics way, um, in a room behind me, and, uh, and but he'll be he'll be hitting the ground in, in September. So really looking forward to getting that on the road. Cool. As a as a, a technology company, 
uh, and I think just in general terms, innovation often is associated with technology, you know, technology improvements and like that. And there's all kinds of innovation that can make change and make things better. Now, uh, so well, including technology, I guess, what do you think 2030 is going to look like? And then how would you advise today's business executives to prepare for that? Yeah, okay. Two, two really good questions. I, I think on the innovation front, I like to think of the two, two sides of innovation. So you've got new tech, old problem, and you've also got old, <laughs> um, new problem, old tech. You know, So I, I think very often it can be a new application of something that's gone before. Um, I, I think from a 2030 point of view, a lot of what we've seen happen this year is going to be established as a new normal. So um, it could, it's no longer a given that the biggest brands, for example, are going to have the biggest booths at an event and they're going to get all of the or all of the footfall. Now, nowadays, it's as easy for me to go, because I did the last two weeks, to do a series of events in Southeast Asia and the week before do a series of events in New York. And it is geared around me being in that region and being able to engage in a digital context that's not just try and sit there in the corner and watch this you know, live stream from 50,000 feet. So firstly, I think that's going to be a big difference. You're going to have less money into that sector, definitely, from a, from a sponsorship point of view. Because all of a sudden, where's the incentive? You know, previously it used to be you get you get your branding on the biggest booth. Now, less so. Um, I think when when you think about the uh, the availability of data, as we've talked about, five G volumes of data that exist. I think we're gonna we're gonna see come twenty thirty just a, an absolute and utter reliance on data, even more so than now. We saw that the narrative through COVID was controlled hugely by what data was available. Einstein has a fantastic quote, which was, you know, not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. You know, at the minute, we've got an availability problem around what data we can report, whether it's infections or deaths or hospitalizations or whatever else. And not all of that is consistent. It's not all a consistent measure, even internally in the UK. Come 2030, those sort of vagaries just won't be permitted. I don't think society is going to tolerate them. So I think the firms are going to have to get to grips with the fact that right now is the time to be saying, let's get my data right, because by 2030, if I don't, I won't exist, which is a nice chilling vision of the future. So advice, what do I think? So, yeah, ready to fail fast. And again, this is not just a a vendor-centric view. One of the things that I have found moving from being in a bank to being in a vendor like ours is that uh, you you can try anything, you know, by comparison to a bank when you really can't. Um, You can fail quickly. Again, you really shouldn't fail in in a bank. And you can learn and you can grow and you can move on from that. I I think think the, the slightly arcane processes of procurement and uh, InfoSec and all those sorts of things can sometimes stymie the ability to actually engage. What's one of the things I'm most proud about the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK having their sandbox. They provide this fantastic platform available for banks and firms like ours to collaborate in a safe space, prove out a concept without ever having to trouble you know, InfoSec and data management within a bank demonstrate the worth of, of what you're trying to do and then roll it out. I think banks just need to get a bit more creative in doing that themselves, create those holding places to be able to 
test those rather than just kind of innovate themselves. I would say orchestration is key. So by that, I mean, I've talked about those point solutions. ING Bank in, in the Netherlands demonstrated 18 months ago a platform whereby they'd taken five or six different firms like ours um, and they'd gone, well, that's the best for that. That's the best for that. We're going to host those in our own platform, which we facilitated. And then that means that whenever I'm trying to do my IRFs, IFRS 9 reporting or I'm trying to do something on Solvency 2, then I'll, I can see all of the impacts across the best of each of these breeds. And then again, the last thing is digitization, not digitalization. That's my, that's my absolute advice. Find out why your people are using Excel <laughs> and then go off and find the digital, the digital native alternative to that. Um, and if it's, if it's us, then great. That's what we yeah. want. And then make them stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the eagerness is there. The eagerness to make a difference is there, but very often the connection to the, the tools just isn't. Um, so anything we can do to kind of smooth those smooth those peaks is uh, is beneficial. Perfect. Very uh, very thought provoking. So that wraps up our episode. And as always, I look forward to hearing thoughts from you, our listeners, about today's show. Please keep the conversation going. If you like the show, tell your friends. And please take a minute to rate our show or to comment on LinkedIn. Go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and to listen to more shows. Thank you very much for chatting with me, Matt. Thank you. So everybody stay safe and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. Today.